So I am showing that it is 4.30 p.m. on the East Coast. So I would like to welcome everyone to the Visit with AFB session. Uh, my name is Katie Frederick, and I am a member of the AFB Board of Trustees, and I will also be acting as a Zoom facilitator for this session. So when it comes to questions about AFB, I will help people ask those. So if you have a question, when, when the time comes for questions, feel free to raise your hand and I will acknowledge you. I also have the opening CEU code for this session. So um, there is an opening code for those of you who are registered to receive the CEU credits for the convention. And that opening code is all numbers this time. It is zero zero two one four. Again, that's zero zero two one four. That is the opening CEU code for the visit with AFB session. And I will now turn it over to the panelists who are going to lead the session. Great, thank you so much, Katie. Um, welcome everyone, and thank you for taking time to join us today. My name is Stephanie Enyart, and I'm the Chief Public Policy and Research Officer with the American Foundation for the Blind. And today we'd like to share information about what we are doing at AFB. Uh, first, I'd like to give you a, a quick introduction to those that will present in today's session. Um, in addition to myself, we'll also be joined and hear from Megan Aragon, who's the Chief Program Officer. We'll hear from Erin Priest, Access World Technology and Information Specialist, and Dr. L. Penny Rosenblum, who's the Director of Research, and Rebecca Berchter, who is Senior Editor for JBIB, which is the Journal of Visual Impairment, Impairment and Blindness. So a bit about what we do at AFB. On a, a high level, we work on public policy and research to inform stakeholders, policymakers, and individuals with vision loss. We work on programs that increase the number of employed adults who are blind and who have low vision. We are providing consultation to companies that guide and make their services and products accessible or more accessible. And we're sharing knowledge through two publications, the Journal of Visual Impairment and Blindness, JBIB, and Access World. So I'll share a bit about policy and research work at AFB um, as the Chief Public Policy and Research Officer. Um, most recently, as, as many people have uh, turned their attention to COVID-19 and the impact of COVID-19, um, we have looked at our own work in research and policy through that lens. And we've been doing both research and policy advocacy in this space. In terms of our education work, we've been working with other blindness organizations to uh, raise concerns to Congress and the Department of Education. 
Um, we've been uh, balancing safety with effective education concerns as well in terms of remote virtual platforms, tactile communication and learning, and the need for some close contact and interaction between teachers and students who are blind or who have low vision. We're encouraging Congress to consider children who are blind and low vision in their hearings that will address reopening procedures or continuation of, of virtual education. We're also opposing waivers that will waive important educational rights of children and students who have disabilities. We're advocating for specific IDEA funding. And in terms of the adult impact from COVID-19, we've also done some specific research in this area across many different themes um, in, in terms of um, the impact. And we're advocating around kind of COVID-related responses. Um, and in this space, we're determining how we'll disseminate research to key stakeholders, um, to policymakers, and to other advocacy organizations who will be able to utilize and, and help shepherd this important information into uh, change maker hands. So as we, as we shape what this um, will look like, you'll see more to come. And ACB was an important contributor to um, our research work in this space. Um, we also continue to lend our voice to efforts to protect the rights of those who have visual disabilities and to priorities around education, employment, and transportation, which are some of our chief uh, focal areas at this point. In terms of advocacy around transportation, um, I also wanted to draw your attention to a, a wonderful partnership we've been in with the American Council for the Blind, especially over this past year in advocating for better paratransit services. And much of our work in this space has helped shape the Disability Access to Transportation Act, um, which was um, authored by uh, Congressman Langevin. And pieces of this um, law actually made it into the House Transportation Bill as well. So in terms of other things in transportation, we're also continuing to advocate um, specifically around provisions and transportation policy um, that speak to a, a, a long list of, of concerns that have bubbled up during the COVID-19 period of time. Um, service providers um, are, are, are not always training people on the services that are available to them and that would be most fitting for them, which is something that we've learned through some of our research, as well as there's a need for access to uh, cross-jurisdiction uh, transportation, especially in small cities and in rural areas where that can get a bit disjointed. Um, and we also know that there is a need for much better scheduling um, policies and also an increase in on-demand access. We know that this is only the tip of the iceberg and that there are many, many other issues um, in the transportation space that are affecting the lives of those who are blind and who have low vision. And so this is a, a chief concern of ours um, and something that we're tracking closely 
and um, working in coalition with other organizations on. In terms of some of our other work, we're also deepening our transportation, I mean, our, our employment focus. Um, and so we're supporting um, the, the establishment of a very new model in terms of the Ability One program and our role as a new central nonprofit agency within it. And in this work, we're, we're deeply focused and committed to creating pathways to competitive and integrated employment. In addition, we'll continue to research what the impacts of mid-career leadership training programs are on upward mobility within blind employment. And I know that Megan may touch a bit more on this in her own presentation today. And we're also researching how technology tools and assistive technology specifically impact the employment of those with visual disabilities in our own workplace technology study. So I'll, I'll leave it there for now and pass it on to, I believe, Megan. Nope, actually it's gonna be Penny Rosenblum. Hi, and I'm the Director of Research uh, here at AFB. I, I joined AFB actually six months ago yesterday, and I'm excited to spend a little bit of time talking to uh, you folks about the Flatten Inaccessibility Survey that we did um, in collaboration with other organizations, including ACB. So I'm hoping many of you on this call took part in the survey that was open from April 3rd to the 13th um, that examined how are folks with visual impairments, adults over the age of 18 in the United States being impacted by COVID-19. And we specifically looked at the areas of technology, transportation, healthcare, access to meals, food, and supplies. We kind of lumped those together social experiences, employment. We looked at education in two ways. Um, if you yourself, as an adult with a visual impairment, were attending some type of education program, that, whether that was a rehabilitation program, dog guide training, or higher education, like undergrad or graduate or law school. And then we also asked about education. If you had a K-12 child uh, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a guardian, who you were supporting in education. And then the last area that the survey looked at was voting. And so when people came into the survey after they read all that, you know, legally stuff to make sure we're not gonna hang you up by your toes and take your blood, but if you consented to participate, we asked demographic information to learn a little bit about um, the participant and we asked technology questions. And then after that, participants um, were free to answer a section like that transportation or healthcare section, if they had concerns for themselves because of COVID-19. So, you know, if you weren't employed, you probably didn't answer any of the employment questions because you didn't have a concern about your employment related to COVID-19 and how that was impacting you. So I'm not big on reading you a bunch of numbers and putting you to sleep. And I, I know sometimes researchers, we wanna do that, what I wanted to do instead was to share some of what I consider to be the rich quotes from our participants. Now, I do wanna tell you um, that the website that you can go to um, for our study is https 
colon forward slash forward slash flatten inaccessibility all one word f l a t t e n i n a c c e s s i b i l t y dot com and you can read some summary reports about the study and what the findings were you also can go to the afb website and click on research find the link for flatten inaccessibility you'll find a link to a webinar that we did in early june and also um, where you can sign up to be able to get a copy of our report that'll be out later this month so by going to www.afb.org click on research then click on flatten inaccessibility you'll have more resources and um, we're excited that hopefully right at the end of the month we'll be posting um, a report that'll have both the quantitative the number part of the survey findings and the qualitative the the voices of the participants through the responses that they wrote so those are what i'm going to share with you today are just a small snippet of what 1921 people shared in their responses to hey tell us about this concern you have or how can technology better help you with healthcare so my favorite quote or one of my many favorite quotes that I think really gets us all thinking about these are challenging times right now, but we as consumers with visual impairment, and I myself have low vision, um, we have the power to affect change. So let me read you a quote from one of our participants. We keep thinking we can outwit this thing and that things will quote, go back to normal, unquote. Let's overwrite quote, normal, unquote, and use this opportunity to make it better for us. Lemons to lemonade. I love this quote because it talks about how we as people with visual impairment, we might be feeling down. We might be feeling like the system is not supporting us as somebody who is visually impaired and needs to get to COVID testing, for example or needs to get our groceries. But we do have the potential to affect change. So letting our community um, transportation company know, hey, when you cancel this bus route, then I don't have a way to get to the store. What alternative can this community provide me so I can get groceries? Let me share another quote with you. And this one has to do with um, the importance of getting information. Every night my newscast comes on. I, I'm an NBC Lester, uh, Lester guy, so I like NBC Nightly News with, with Lester Hall. And every night when Lester and those folks come on and my local folks come on, they're talking about COVID-19 and they're talking about the numbers. And a lot of that information is not accessible to us with visual impairment. So one of our people said, a lot of the information being shared is through screenshots and infographics that I can't read. I also think that um, the signage, so in buildings, isn't being cleaned enough since I feel like sighted people forget blind people are in their community. In other words, needing to read braille signage. So this was a concern for some of our participants. Access to that visual information 
and that also that concern around signage and if I need to, you know, feel, hey, is this floor four on the elevator? If I need to feel the buttons, do I have, um, you know, clean surfaces that I can touch? Um, how, do, how do I know how things are being cleaned? How do I know what those maps and bar charts say if they haven't been properly coded so that there's a, a, a text version of them? And we heard this over and over again in many of the areas of the survey, not just um, around COVID, but for example, shopping websites. So Instacart or Amazon Prime, that not the, um, the apps or the websites were fully accessible, which impacted people's ability to be able to shop at home. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I, get a little concerned sometimes have i have i been exposed to covid 19 if so how am i going to get to a testing site um, in my community which is tucson arizona we have drive up testing sites we don't have walk up testing sites and so i often wonder you know how am i going to be able to um, get to a testing site um, and then, you know, how am I going to be able to um, figure out um, how I'm going to get there? So we had some participants that shared about that um, and also the idea of transportation to be able to get to stores and things. So one person said, transportation has been one of my greatest fears during all of this. I don't want to risk all the germs in an Uber, not to mention there are less drivers. Things like buses and trains have been shut down. Also, I wouldn't want to be in such a small space with so many people. I don't feel safe doing anything but walking. I can get to a pharmacy and a few restaurants, but I can't really get anywhere else. So this idea of not being able to, to get to the places this person needed was a real concern. And again, we heard this over and over again, it overlapped into transportation overlapped into healthcare. So another person said, my concerns run deep relative to persons with disability being dismissed, dis disregarded and or discarded in persons who lack in when determining the level of attention care to be given in health settings during the COVID-19 pandemic, especially when deciding who receives use of limited resources. So who's going to get those limited resources if a testing site is um, only have a few tests that people can walk up through if they're even allowing that or they can be done in a home who in a hospital potentially is going to get health care ventilator we had some participants who talked about how that they were concerned that if a health care provider was needing to decide during triage, this person gets in the hospital and gets oxygen or a ventilator and this person doesn't, that that healthcare worker may use disability as a criteria. Other people talked about how age might be a criteria, that because I happen to be an older person and I happen to be blind, are they going to think I'm less able-bodied and therefore um, not as important to, to give life-saving um, measures to? We had a, a couple participants who talked about the fact that they were overweight and they felt that that would be um, 
something against them coupled with their visual impairment. So access to testing, access to healthcare, is it related to COVID-19, were concerns for some of the participants. Now, many people in our country take medication. And so we were really happy to see in the literature that we had participants who were already very familiar with purchasing their medications online and having them delivered. Some participants talked about how as a result of COVID-19, they learned how to order medication or groceries online or how to use new software at work. Um, for example, Zoom like we're using today. And so we saw um, a, the shift for some people in their access to things as a result of technology. Yet for some of our participants, getting access to medication and getting access to food and other necessary supplies like you know, hand sanitizer or wipes was problematic. Um, so for example, here's a, a participant, and I know it happens to be a woman because I was just uh, working on our report a little while ago, but she says, several of my medications will be delivered. I take one medication that is a controlled substance for sleep. It has to be picked up from the pharmacy. I asked if there was any way it could be delivered since I am totally blind. They said I could come to the drive-through. I'm not sure what car they think I will drive. Um, and so we, we heard um, from this participant and other participants about the challenges of getting to the pharmacy to get medication and how this was problematic as a non-driver. The same thing was true when it came to shopping. Um, some stores had curbside pickup. And so if you're a non-driver and you can't get to the store to do your curbside pickup, you're in this quandary. Um, perhaps you're gonna ask a family member or a friend to go do that for you. Well, then you're putting that person potentially at risk because you know, they may come in contact with you in the process of you know, giving you your stuff or at the curbside, they, they still may interact with somebody. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, rightfully so, were feeling uncomfortable about asking people that they would normally ask for support um, for that support. And the same thing um, as a side, when it came to having um, a home health aide or a volunteer from the church, somebody who maybe comes and helps you with your meals or helps you with your medication set up um, each week. Um, because people are socially distancing, because people are staying at home, that presents a problem of, wow, that person I've, you know, come to count on who does X, Y, and Z with me each week or each month is now no longer available to me. How am I going to get that done? So one thing we found was that some people were using apps. So for example, Be My Eyes, where you can get connected with a volunteer, or Ira, A-I-R-A, where you can get connected with a paid agent. And that way they were getting cited assistance for things that they needed. Um, so let's talk a little bit about social distancing. Now, social distancing is staying six feet away from other people. And because of that need to maintain that six foot distance, one of our participants shared, people are practicing social distancing and some are unwilling to offer an elbow for sighted guide travel. The social safety net I rely on during normal times have been disrupted. It's humbling. 
Um, we had participants who talked about how when they would go to the grocery store pre-COVID-19, they would ask for assistance in customer service, or they might ask another customer in the aisle, hey, you know, can you help me find this? But now with this need to social distance, um, they weren't able to get that type of support that they were used to getting in the store. And a couple participants even talked about how when they went to the store and they went to customer service wearing their mask and said, you know, hey, I need assistance shopping, the, the, the store employee said, we can't do that because we, we can't be near you. Um, so that presented some problems and also people who might go shopping with a family member or a volunteer or a friend, again, keeping that social distance. So you can see how all these issues are spilling over to each other. Now, I mentioned to you already about this issue of drive-through um, medication. We heard from the woman, exactly what car do you think I'm going to drive? Well, here's another thing about drive-through that somebody shared. So here's the thing. Lots of businesses are drive-through only, which excludes me. I admit, I've, I've walked through a drive-through because I had no other choice, but even walk-up windows are closed. I do not want to ask friends to help me as they're worried about their own health and safety. And we have participants who shared that they did walk up to a drive-through, whether it was at a bank or a restaurant or a pharmacy, and they were denied services because they were not in a vehicle. And so they felt very discriminated against and like they had no choices because the inside of whatever business they were going to was closed. And in order to get services at that business, you needed to be in a vehicle and they didn't have a vehicle. Um, so that is a real concern. So when things like this happen to you in your community, it's really important that you make your voice be heard because we're not gonna affect change unless we all work together and having consumer organizations such as ACB that you are a member of is one way that you can help have your voice be heard and writing letters to the editor, um, calling your local uh, lawmakers and you know, questioning, hey, why do we have some of these policies? You know, have you thought about the impact on people with disabilities or people who are older or people who you know, have a child in a stroller? I mean, lots of people can be impacted by, by something that um, those in charge may not have even realized. Um, another example is the policy that some um, communities have started where you cannot board the bus from the front door, you must go to the back or rear door of the bus to board. Well, rear doors, um, typically you have stairs, which a lot of folks have trouble with. And so getting up and down those stairs isn't safe or isn't even possible for some people with visual impairments and or some people who are older Americans. And so this puts them at a disadvantage. Now, our, our study wasn't all gloom and doom. Um, there were people who recognized that, you know, we're going to get through this. Um, and how can I, as an individual who is visually impaired, help myself? So um, let me share my last quote with you, which is, um, I have definitely felt overwhelmed and stressed at times during the experience, mostly about having to transition to doing work over the phone instead of in person. I work really hard to remember that I am in control of a lot of things right now still. I also use the practice of gratitude journaling every day 
to remind me of the good things that are still happening in my life. And I really want to remind each of you that good things are happening in your life. You've taken the time to come join us today to hear about what we're doing at AFB, to be with other ACB members. And it's those connections with others, the opportunity to keep learning, the opportunity to maybe try something new that you um, kept saying, you know, one day I want to learn how to do such and such, or I want to read such and such book, that, that we can look for a little bit of a silver lining in these really challenging times. Um, so I want to just end by sharing with you that this flatten and accessibility survey, the results um, that we are getting ready to publish, really can provide us a roadmap to how um, we as people with visual impairments, our policymakers, companies, employers can respond to situations that are the unexpected, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a fire, whether it's a pandemic, we need to work together to ensure that people with visual impairments are included from the beginning when decisions are made and aren't marginalized or left out. Um, so as I said, our report will be available later in the month of July. You can go to the Flatten and Accessibility website. Oh, here's another link you could go to. I'm giving you three different ways you can get to us. So you could go to afb.org forward slash Flatten and Accessibility, all one word. Um, and if you are a person with a visual impairment, um, again, I encourage you to reach out to others in your organization and to let your needs be known in your community. If you're here representing a company that designs um, materials for people with visual impairments um, or, um, you know, just, you know, tools and resources for anybody and you want to make sure that they're going to work and be accessible with people with visual impairments, this is a great time to make sure that you're um, being inclusive. If you're a healthcare worker, making sure that your organization has policies and procedures in place so that um, uh, patients who are visually impaired have full access, are getting the same level of treatment as other um, individuals, and that they do not feel marginalized or concerned about whether they're going to be at the bottom of the list for healthcare. So we all have a role to play in this COVID-19 pandemic. And our report that I will be out later this month, I think you will find really fascinating. You'll, you'll read a lot more quotes from a lot of our participants and get to um, read the quantitative results as well. So um, this is Flattening Accessibility, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to talk with you. I'm gonna turn it over to Rebecca, who is gonna talk about the Journal of Visual Impairment and Blindness with you. Thank you, Penny. Can't wait to see the final results of your fascinating survey. Um, so my name is Rebecca Berichter. I am the senior editor of the Journal of Visual Impairment and Blindness, also known as JVIB. JVIB is part of the Public Policy and Research Institute, and it is a peer-reviewed scholarly research journal that serves as the building block for evidence-based advocacy and other mission-driven goals for AFB and many other entities in the field of visual impairment. Um, JVIB has been supported by AFB since its inception, 
And it has been in continuous publication since 1907, which is actually something quite rare in the field of visual impairment. It has served as the essential professional resource for information about blindness and low vision for the field of visual impairment in the United States and abroad for over 100 years. <clears throat> and I heard that um, some attendees of today's session, and thank you for being here, are earning CEs as part of your participation. You may be inter interested to know that it is possible to earn CEs within every issue of JVIB. Um, JVIB is also known as the, quote, official journal of AER, unquote, which is the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. So, um, you know, if, if earning CEs is something you need to do, JVIB is a great way to do it. Our quizzes have just five questions, so it, um, the reading of the article is really the thing that takes the most time. JVIB's Editor-in-Chief is Sandra Lewis, who is Professor and Coordinator of the Visual Disabilities Program in the School of Teacher Education at Florida State University. And although the journal and all of its editors are based in academia at various programs across the United States and Canada, um, we, they all work very hard to ensure that every article published in the journal includes information that readers can apply to their lives right away. And their work. Um, even in the most data-heavy research articles, there is a section called Implications for Practitioners that includes these practical takeaways. In addition, JVIB also publishes articles dedicated to practice alone. These are called practice reports and practice perspectives, and they are managed by the journal's associate editor for practice, Rona Pogrind, who is based at Texas Tech University. JVIB um, sorry, the mission of the journal and the materials published in it are actually aligned with the goals of ACB, which are, quote, to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Every year, JVIB publishes articles on topics of interest to ACB members that include assess accessible technology, transportation, and the built environment equitable and valuable educational opportunities for children who are blind or have low vision, including through the use of embossed braille and assistive technologies, and equal participation of people who are blind or have low vision in social activities and civic responsibilities. So um, Penny also listed many long URLs for you, so forgive me <laughs> because I have a few long URLs to share with you on how to access JVIB or contact us. You can learn more about JVIB by visiting the AFB website. That address is www.afb.org forward slash JVIB. Um, it's possible to read subscription content, and this is for subscribers, although there are some um, articles th there that are available to individuals who do not have a subscription, um, and that URL is located on the Sage Publishing website. They are the ones who publish the journal currently. That URL is https colon forward slash forward slash journals.sagepub.com forward slash TOC forward slash JVIBA forward slash current. Um, and if you access the, the PowerPoint presentation, which I believe ACB will be making available to attendees um, on their website in the future, you, you will see those links there. You can submit a letter to the editor 
um, to Dr. Sandra Lewis at the web the email address jvib at fsu.edu. That's F as in Frank, S as in Sandra, U as in University. General inquiries about the journal can be addressed to us at the email address jvib at afb.org. And if there's something you may want to advertise, for example, the next convention of ACB or some program that you are um, conducting, you can contact Cody Mitchell at SagePub. That's Cody.michel at SagePub.com. And with that, I'm going to hand it off to my colleague, Aaron, who will tell you about Access World. Aaron, take it away. Thanks. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Aaron Priest, and I'm currently the, um, the acting editor for our Access World Technology magazine. Um, and for anyone who's attended our um, breakfast in the past and you're wondering, where's uh, Lee Huffman talking about Access World? Um, Lee has actually moved on recently, uh, so I've taken his place as the editor of Access World, and he does have one more editor's page for you that will be published in our July issue, which should be coming out by the end of this week. So before I get into what, the, the main goal here is to tell you, if you're not familiar with Access World, what is Access World? What do we cover? Um, and then also, what is new with Access World? What's coming up? Um, so first, how would you access Access World? It's available for free online. Um, you can reach it at afb.org slash aw for Access World. Also, you can, if you're a Newsline subscriber, you can access the I believe it's the most two most current issues of Access World on Newsline as well. So in Access World, what do we cover in Access World? Um, we're, we are most um, recognized for our product reviews. So we review both mainstream and, and accessible technologies. So note takers, braille displays, talking book players, CCTVs but also um, accessible mainstream hardware such as streaming media devices, such as the uh, Apple TV or Fire TV stick, uh, televisions, uh, uh, mobile devices. And also we, we're increasingly over the last several years, um, we often re review uh, mobile apps and also desktop software. In addition to that, we also uh, publish interviews. Uh, we have a series called Employment Matters where we publish interviews with people that are visually impaired or blind who are successfully employed. And the goal of those articles and that article series is to, one, learn about what, what are blind people doing for, for employment, and two, what are people, what brought these people success? What tools did they use? Uh, what skills did they did they build? How were they successful in their employment? So we we're hoping that people can read these articles and use what um, others have found successful and use it in their own lives to also become successful in employment. Um, we also every year will cover um, the techno various technology conferences, uh, ATIA, CSUN, and we also publish articles on cutting edge vision research. So things such as uh, new treatments for macular degeneration uh, devices, if anyone's familiar with like the Orion device, uh, uh, the implantable cameras and telescopes, uh, vision uh, treatment, detection, um, and possible cure technology. We also cover that. 
So Access World also has a series of special issues. Uh, actually, almost half of our half of our issues are, are special issues. So from the top, we've got in January, we have our Braille issue. So in that issue, it's uh, the month where Louis, Louis, Louis Braille's birthday is in, is in January. So we focus on Braille technology and just Braille in general in that issue. So you'll see oftentimes that's where Braille display reviews will be, um, Braille translation software, even Braille watches. Um, in February, we have our low vision and senior issue which is sponsored the last several years by Mississippi State University. And that issue in particular is aimed at people new to assistive technology or who have low vision. So you'll often see reviews of CCTVs or uh, video magnifiers in that issue. Uh, also articles aimed at the new technology users. So articles on say getting started with virtual assistants such as the uh, Amazon Echo or Google Home um, thoughts for uh, if you're buying your first computer, what kind of thought, what, what, what you should keep in mind for that um, information on using an iPhone or any kind of mobile device for the first time. Uh, that's usually in our, that's in our February issue. Our next special, special issue is actually this month, our July issue is our back to school issue. So any, any topics related to back to school will be published in this issue. We always publish every year an employment resources article um, has all sorts of different resources for anyone um, in educa education, education resources article. So if you're in education or also if you are, say, a teacher of the visually impaired or someone who is an educator, this issue is aimed at you. Um, just last year, we started an entrepreneur issue. And that is our August issue. So in that issue, we cover issues relating to starting your own business uh, and being an entrepreneur in particular. Um, slightly different than our October issue, which is our employment issue. Uh, in that issue, we have always an employment resources article, as well as other articles specifically relevant to look, seeking employment or maintaining employment. And then for, uh, for November and December, we have our two holiday issues. So we have gift guides in these issues for people, for gifts specifically uh, of particular use to people that are visually impaired in some form or another. Um, we also will review every year several shopping websites, online shopping websites and, and mobile apps um, for their accessibility and, and bring that to you. So that's uh, sort of about Access World. What's new with Access World? So over the last year, one of our main initiatives for Access World is to launch our new and improved Access World website. Uh, so that's been over a year in development. Um, it should be launched, we believe, by the August issue. So this website redesign brings several new features to Access World. Now, uh, some of the major features are that now You've, if you've read Access World, you'll notice that we, we, or, we organize our articles into categories. Now you can actually access each category and find a list of all the articles under each category. In the same vein, you can also select an author's name and see all the articles that author has published as well as a bio about that author. Um, we now also have 
a popular articles section, uh, which will showcase articles that have been popular over the years and what's, or what's trending currently uh, during that particular month. Um, the, uh, the website in general, those are some new features, but really the website in general has been designed to be as friendly as possible to people using assistive technology in particular. It's meant to be friendly uh, when you're using a mobile device. Um, and we've gone links to, to, to try to ensure that this is as streamlined and easiest to use as possible. We've done several rounds of user testing and uh, we're really hoping that you'll enjoy the website. Um, something I, we will be doing is for our July issue, just to get people prepared for the, for the changeover, uh, we will be publishing a guide to the new website. So you will have that in advance if you're interested to, so you'll be prepared for the new website. If you're, if you're already comfortable with the current website, we want everyone to be as prepared as possible for this changeover. So if you, want, if you have questions for us or would like to submit a letter to the editor, how do you get in contact with us? So you can reach me at my email address, which is apreece at afb.org. So that is a P-R-E-E-C-E at AFB.org. You can also find that on our Access World Contact Us page. And you, if you want to send a letter to the editor on a specific article, um, you can also, at the end of every single article, there's a link called Comment on this article, and that allows you to send an email directly to me um, with any comments on that particular article. If you would like to advertise in Access World, uh, you can reach Amanda Coling at a coling at afb.org, uh, a k o l l i n g at afb.org. Um, so now I will pass it on to Megan to talk about AFB's employment programs. Thanks, Aaron. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Megan Aragon, and I oversee um, AFB's employment programs. I'm really excited to talk to you about those today. So AFB's mission is to create a future of no limits for blind Americans, and the vision of our employment programs is a great career for every American with vision loss that's in the workforce. So that's the ultimate goal of, of what we're trying to accomplish with our employment programs. And, uh, and we've structured our, our programs to mirror the, the life cycle of employment and, and the different elements that are in, in the employment equation. You've got uh, uh, needing to prepare employers and uh, generate awareness and, and break down barriers for, uh, for employers to be ready to, um, to employ individuals with vision loss and uh, those who are blind. You need to be developing a talent pool and preparing individuals so that they're ready to step into those great careers. And then you also need to be creating um, bridges and, and um, those opportunities, those job opportunities themselves, so creating jobs. So there are three buckets of activities, um, those that are employer facing, those that are talent pool of facing, and those that create those opportunities. And so that's where our programs lie. Um, and today I'd like to talk to you specifically about the Blind Leaders Development Program, which is really that um, answering that question of how do we develop uh, the capacity and the talent, the confidence of blind individuals so that they're ready to step into those great careers. So the Blind Leaders Development Program is answering the question, the, the problem that we're looking at is that uh, we, can, we can think of uh, 
blind individuals that have achieved incredible levels of success. Um, every CEO of American Foundation for the Blind has been a blind individual is a great example. Um, but these, these examples are far and few between. And, and there are a few blind and visually impaired individuals that have reached uh, that level of success. We want to see that in every industry, across every sector. Um, and so our solution is to, uh, to create the Blind Leaders Development Program, uh, where we take cohorts of individuals uh, through a year-long program. We develop their leadership capacity and, uh, and improve their social networks, and, and then as they achieve greater levels of influence and leadership, then they're able to create opportunities for those who follow behind them. And they're able to influence awareness and, um, and that creates a, an upward spiral of uh, positive uh, employment outcomes for individuals. So what is the uh, Blind Leaders Development Program? It's based on the Leadership Challenge curriculum, which is um, a, it's based on 30 years of research by Drs. Jim Kuzes and Barry Posner. And essentially the Leadership Challenge says that leadership is not something that you're born with. It's based on behavior. So if you can adapt and change your behaviors on a regular basis, then you can become a more capable leader and someone that others will willingly follow. And so, uh, so we base the, the Blind Leaders Development Program on the Leadership Challenge curriculum. There is an element uh, in the program that uh, is a soft skill development webinar series where we uh, address issues um, that are related to communication, but specifically through the lens of blindness. So uh, networking it, as, it, as it relates to someone who's blind or visually impaired, how do you uh, what are tools and techniques that you can use as you enter into a, um, a networking environment? Um, and then we also have a mentoring element of the program as well, where uh, a, a, an individual who's already achieved a level of, of success in their career has volunteered their time to mentor the group of uh, fellows that go through the program. And then there's a professional coaching element as well. So... We follow the Leadership Challenge curriculum, there's soft skill development webinars, there's a mentoring element, and then there's professional coaching element that goes along with the program. We have our first cohort that's going through the program right now. In, 2000 and, uh, in 2020, they began the program in March, uh, right when the world uh, was turned upside down. <laughs> so it's been a learning opportunity for all of us. Um, we have 16 fellows that are going through the program, 16 mentors, and uh, they are uh, scheduled to graduate the program in 2021. What is the, the goal of the Blind Leaders Development Program? Like I mentioned before, it's really to increase the fellows' effectiveness um, and, and their ability to achieve higher levels of influence, responsibility, and leadership to expand their networks across sectors and industries and creating more opportunities for them to connect with individuals that can, can give them the opportunity to reach higher levels in their career. And then ultimately, the, the purpose is that as they achieve those higher levels, they can then turn around and create more opportunities for those who follow them. They can give back to the community. So what are we looking for in fellows? That, uh, so if you're interested in the program, you want to share about the program, uh, what are we looking for in, in those that will want to participate in as a fellow? Uh, we want to select a diverse group of individuals to uh, participate in the program, and we're looking for three major areas of, 
of criteria as we're selecting people to participate. And that's the leadership potential during the program and after the program. So you're gonna take what you learn and then go and apply it in your community and make your community a better place and engage on nonprofit boards or um, uh, really go after the next uh, step in your career. We wanna see an openness uh, to new ideas and a willingness to learn. And then the potential and commitment to be a productive fellow in the program. And then for mentors, there's an application process as well. And so we're, we're looking for a diverse group of mentors. Um, and then we have three criteria that we're looking for for them as well. Uh, we wanna see competence, experience, and professionalism so that they can model the way for, uh, for the fellow that they're paired with. An openness and a willingness to share ideas and insights. So really being, being willing to break down the walls and, and share uh, those hard truths sometimes with, uh, with your fellow. And then the potential and commitment to be a productive program mentor. So how do you learn more and how do you get involved? Uh, uh, here's another long URL for you. Uh, you can check out the Blind Leaders Development uh, webpage, which is uh, www.afb.org forward slash, forward slash research and initiatives forward slash employment, forward slash <laughs> blind leaders development program. So that's again, afb.org slash research and initiatives slash employment slash blind leaders development program. We'll have another round of applications that will open this fall. We'll be making announcements about that as soon as they open. So for the next group of, uh, of 16 fellows and 16 mentors. Please consider applying if this sounds like something that you would be interested in, in participating in to, to develop your leadership capacity, um, to expand your networks, or to give back to the community and to invest in an up-and-coming uh, blind leader. And then please share with your networks, with those that, that you think um, would benefit from participating in this program or who would know those who would benefit from participating in this program. And I believe we will take questions now. Thank you so much. All right. So if you have a question, feel free to raise your hand. You can do that by pressing star nine on your telephone. If you are on a PC, that command is Alt-Y. And if you're on a Mac, it is Option-Y. If you are using the um, a smart device, a smartphone, it is on the screen uh, near the bottom of the screen. So we have Michael Byington. I'm going to unmute you. You should be allowed to talk once you find that unmute button. I think I found it. Thank you very much. Uh, this question is probably for Stephanie to address. Uh, I'll let you all decide whether there's somebody else that would want to comment as well. But uh, over my checkerboard career, I worked back in the late 1990s, largely doing systems advocacy for an affiliate, an Ability One agency then called simply an NIB affiliate. And the concern at that time, certainly uh, Ability One has come a long way in uh, integrating a lot of their uh, jobs that they are offering into uh, the uh, larger uh, workforce and so on, 
But uh, with the adoption of the Fred Schroeder rule back around 1996 out of the RSA, uh, he basically linked uh, competitiveness with the percentage of people who had disabilities working on either side of you. And the concern about that was obviously if they're saying somehow that working with a person who doesn't have disabilities on either side of you is somehow better than working with a uh, person who happens to also be blind on either side of you, assuming that benefits and pay and everything else are roughly equal, uh, that would seem to devalue blind workers. And I'm just interested in your comments on the evolution that has happened since I left the field of uh, advocacy full time, as I did in 2001, and now I do still have many associates who are very happy working uh, at jobs that have good pay and good benefits, but they happen to be in what Dr. Schroeder would have considered a non-integrated setting because the percentage of individuals uh, working uh, on either side of them is still around 75% blind. And they have concerns about some of the movements toward integration in more and more positions may eventually cause them to be challenged to leave the jobs that they're currently very happy with. And as I said, many of them are very uh, entrenched in the community. They're community leaders as well. They own houses. So could you address uh, some of the progress that has taken place and how some of those rather controversial issues are being addressed now? Thank you. Michael, this is Megan Aragon. I'll, uh, I'll take a stab at this and then ask that Stephanie um, help me out if I miss anything here. Um, I oversee our employment programs and, and one of those programs is the, uh, our work as a central nonprofit agency in the Ability One program. And um, when we were brought into the Ability One program, really, we were, we were brought in as a central nonprofit to address this question. How, how does the Ability One program move into this next stage um, where competitive integrated employment is one of the main focal points? Um, how, how does the Ability One program innovate and adapt and change so that the work and the opportunities that's created through that program can be considered competitive, integrated, and, and, um, and meet that, meet the, meet the moment, essentially. And so that's what AFB has been doing um, since we engaged as a central nonprofit agency. And we're currently in the first of three phases in a cooperative agreement with the Ability One Commission, the first phase being research and studies, uh, where we have been looking at that question. What are our recommendations um, in how, how the model can be changed? Um, how nonprofit agencies, the commercial market, and um, federal government, how can all of these stakeholders engage in a new model that will empower the blind worker to move through the Ability One program? Um, maybe they want to stay at the nonprofit agency where they're employed. Maybe they want to exit to um, a commercial uh, employer. Um, and, and so that's really what we've been asking uh, and, and evaluating uh, since we joined as a central nonprofit agency. And we're very close to moving to the next phase of the cooperative agreement, which is uh, central nonprofit agency capability development, which is really where we would be applying the um, research and studies that we've done and into pilot projects and saying, 
is what our will what our recommendations are will that actually work um, do, do, do our theories hold any weight so um, it's a great question and uh, and very timely all right um, Paul you are now allowed to talk thank you very much so I have uh, one question for the employment lady and one question for Penny. Uh, my question for the employment lady is, do all your, your mentors need to still be working or are you using some retired folks? That's an easy one. For Penny, it's a little more complicated. Um, I, I've, I've read all of the results and also the preliminary results of the education segment, which, which you also published last week. And, and one of the concerns that I have is there, there are a lot of endemic issues that come through that report um, that, that will apply well beyond the pandemic and, and, and demonstrate um, some real areas of concern, I think, uh, in, in terms of uh, the way folks who are blind uh, are being treated by the communities in which they live have you guys made any plans beyond the survey in, in terms of recommendations that you're going to make or, or, or in terms of ways that the data that the survey generated will actually be used? Employment lady, you want to go first? Because mine's going to take a little while. Sure. <laughs> um, very simple answer is that we, we are um, accepting applications from anyone uh, who is interested in being a mentor. If you're retired, um, you have a lot to offer um, someone who is up and coming in their career. So if you're considering applying, please apply. Um, those criteria that I listed, we want to see someone that um, has an openness and a willingness to share their insights. Um, we want to see someone who has the potential to be a productive mentor, and we want to see someone who has professionalism, experience, and um, an expertise to be able to, to impart their wisdom. So those are the three criteria that we're looking for. You don't have to be employed. Thanks very much. Thank you, Megan, the employment lady. Um, Paul, thank you for um, a wonderful question. Um, Paul alluded to that um, there's a parallel survey to this um, called Access and Engagement that focuses on education for children birth through age 21 and teachers of visually impaired students and O&M instructors. I won't read you another URL. Go to AFB, click on research, and you'll find that one as well. Um, Paul, you raise a great, great question. So in the report that we are working on, um, at the end of each section, so the transportation section, the healthcare section, et cetera, um, we're developing recommendations. Our hope is that this report will be shared widely. There were um, 16 organizations that pushed out information about the study, um, including ACB, NFB, and, and pretty much the whole alphabet soup of, of vision organizations, along with companies such as IRA, Be My Eyes, Humanware, Vespero. Um, I'm not naming them all. They are on, on the websites. Um, our hope is that these organizations will, will take ownership of this report and that the um, things that um, are important to them as a company, their um, consumers and organizations such as AFB, sorry, ACB and NFB um, and NOAA will, will really um, work to make systemic change. 
you're absolutely right that a lot of the issues that this report brings up um, in flattening accessibility and also in this, the, the child-related report, access and engagement, are not new to COVID-19. Um, but I think that, and, I, and my research teams that I'm a part of, um, both, both studies have um, strong research teams of about seven to 10 people. Um, those on the research teams really believe strongly that we have an opportunity right now to bring attention to some of the issues we've been having as individuals with visual impairments, as professionals supporting individuals with visual impairments and building, building their independence to, um, to get our voices heard. And, and I hope that organizations such as ACB will go through this report carefully and look at what can we take ownership of? What, what laws might we want to try to get passed? What um, companies might we want to approach to, to, to make changes to how they um, have their apps set up, for example, for shopping? So um, AC, A, I'm sorry, all my A's today, gang, sorry. AFB um, will definitely be looking, especially at the areas of employment and transportation, um, to see how we as an organization can help spearhead issues um, in those areas to make change. We encourage others to do the same. So thanks, Paul, that was a great question. All right, and we have about 10 minutes left, so we still do have some time for questions. So again, if you have a question for the panel, please feel free to raise your hand and we will take that question. Right now, there aren't any hands. So panelists, if you um, have anything else you, you want to share, or I think this has all been, been very fascinating. It's, you know, it's, I think this research is, is good. And we have a hand up. Yes, all right. So Beth, you should be allowed to talk. Okay, thank you guys for a wonderful presentation. I was wondering if the flatten inaccessibility study could be distributed to newspapers, Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. How are we going to get the word out to the general public if we don't do something like that? Thank you. Thank you, Beth. That is a great question. And today, Beth, I am quoted in the New York Times for the first time in my life. Um, it's not an article about this, um, but it's about uh, low vision technology. So if you're a New York Times subscriber, uh, check out that article. Um, I know it's on our AFB media. Um, so AFB does have a community engagement team and John Mackin, who is kind of our media outreach guy. Um, and I have had several conversations already about how are we gonna get the word out? So um, I, you know, I said, I'm ready to go on the Today Show. Um, so I hope again, not just that AFB, but the other organizations as well, that their media folks will be sending out press releases and asking for print media or television media or blog, blogging media or podcast media, not about all my terminology here, um, but opportunities to be able to share, share the results. And again, as ACB members, if you take a look at this report and you're like, I've had similar experiences to that at my grocery store, 
I really, you know, this is really bothering me. And this is a systemic issue that's becoming even bigger because of COVID-19. Pick up the phone and call your local media outlet. It doesn't have to be an organization that's an alphabet suit. I, I really believe that we need to all work together. So some of it can be from the organizations in the company, but some of it needs to be from consumers like us who are members of ACB. Thank you. All right, <clears throat> Otis, you should be allowed to talk. Good afternoon. This has definitely been an informative uh, webinar. My question is in regards to Access World. What is the strategy or what is going to be your strategy for uh, devising new content? Aaron, I think you're muted. There yep. you go. Um, yeah, so we devise new content. Oftentimes, we're always just looking around for new opportunities, both me and the authors. Um, when it comes to things like devising and say like the new, where we just started doing the, um, the entrepreneur issue, that's just something we do periodically, uh, really kind of constantly. We're always brainstorming how to improve Access World. Um, and that sort of came out of that. So there's, there's times like that where something significantly new like that will come, come around. Um, but just in general, we're always looking for new topics to cover, say with our Employment Matters series, um, and just uh, always staying abreast of the newest uh, technology and just the newest um, sort of news from the industry and kind of just keeping an eye on the issues facing people that are visually impaired and like what, what issues, sort of like with this flattened accessibility curve, what, are, what issues are people facing and what, uh, what do we need to cover in, in light of those issues? All right, great. Thank you so much. We are we still have a few minutes left. Um, so if you have if you do have a question, again, you know, feel free to raise your hand and we will get that. We have a phone number here of zero zero three zero three. You are allowed to talk. Hello, uh, my question also is for Aaron regarding Access World. You have um, provided information on some of the, for your, um, the Braille um, uh, note takers and uh, devices, and there have been uh, upgrades to them. Um, do you foresee putting in articles to show whether some of the concerns that you had uh, that you had made on the initial article have been improved, or if it's in the new updates to some of these um, products. Yeah, so that really oftentimes that depends on what the um, the sort of um, complexity of the update. So if it's a significant update, sometimes we will do a full article on it. Oftentimes what I'll do is whenever products do release updates is I often try to put in the update announcements and the features, the new features into Access World News. Um, so if it's a minor update that wouldn't, that wouldn't fill an entire article, you can oftentimes find updates there in Access World News to any, any updates to note takers. But we have done that in the past where significant updates really warrant their own articles. So that, that is a possibility just depending on the update. 
All right, Deborah, you should be allowed to talk. Deborah? Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I am Deborah from Louisiana, and I would like to know about the leadership. Is it leadership development uh, webinars? The, um, can anyone apply? And what ages can start applying? And is it uh, leadership for all fields, such as the field of music, or is it just for AFB? Hi, Deborah. Thanks for that question. Um, any age can apply. Um, we have seen typically that uh, the fellows are um, ranging from, so the, so the fellows in the program, not the mentors in the program, we're, we're noticing that the fellows are tending to be um, in their mid-20s to late 30s, uh, but there's no age restriction um, to participating on either the, the fellow side or the mentor side. So if you're interested, please apply. And, um, and it's for any field. Um, we have received some uh, very generous donations that are restricted to specific um, sectors. So for example, we received a generous donation that um, provided um, funding for 10 individuals in the nonprofit sector to go through uh, this program. So, um, but, but that's not necessarily individuals that are in the blindness nonprofit sector. Uh, we really wanna see individuals that are blind and visually impaired elevated to levels of leadership across every sector and every industry. So this is wide open. We wanna see, um, we wanna see that impact across the entire world. Thanks. All right, Martha, you should be allowed to talk. Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes, my name is Martha. I'm from New York City. Thank you for a very informative presentation. A while ago, uh, AFB used to have a, I don't know if you call it a program or um, called ACE, AFB Career Connect. Is anybody, anyone familiar with this? Where uh, people who were employed visually impaired people employed would post or leave information either on a website or like a telephone number or an email. Uh, let's say you, you're a psychologist or a, an interpreter. I was an interpreter at the time. And where other people can, could contact the person and, and, and talk to, to them about the career or what, is, what does it entail or how you're doing with, at your job. Is this something similar? Is the leadership program sort of the, has it replaced that Career Connect program? If anybody knows. Hi, Martha. This is Megan. Um, so I will ask my, uh, my fellow staff members to help fill in the gaps if I miss anything. <laughs> um, but my understanding is that uh, the Career Connect website uh, has transitioned to American Printing House for the Blind. And so they are owning oh. that program. And, um, and the Blind Leaders Development Program is really 
a, a structured, systematic approach to connecting someone that's um, a mentor that can help help you develop your your um, leadership skills mm-hmm. and um, in, in your field of, of interest. So so when a, a fellow and a mentor are paired, we're really looking at what's the the fellow's goal for participating in the program. What are they trying to get out of this? Um, specific like specific leadership goal um, or industry that they're working in what are their career aspirations and then mentors that apply we're, we're pairing them based on what that mentors experience and expertise is um, is there a connection point is there something that um, that they will be able to connect on and that that will help propel that uh, mentorship relationship so um, so the, the Blind Leaders Development Program is really that applied systematic approach to the theory behind Career Connect, which is individuals that are seeking to develop their leadership and, and expand their career opportunities need a mentor. There's a, a, a body of evidence uh, about the power that mentoring can have on someone's um, success and outcomes in employment. Um, so so it's, it's just a, um, the evolution, I believe, of Career Connect. All right. Thank this you. Is, and with that, oh, okay, oh I'm sorry. Saying, it was just Penny. Do I have 30 seconds to give the commercial here? To cut, um, 29 and a half. <laughs> okay. If you go to the American Printing House for the Blind and um, one of their first um, headers is living with vision loss, it's the link that's called Life at Work. They've changed the name. And I'll just mention that they've also moved over to Career Connect. Um, what used to be vision aware, um, which is now the adults with vision loss. So there's some great resources at APH.org. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, Penny. Penny. And with that, we do need to end. Um, so I do have the ending CEU code again for those who registered for that, for those. And that code is B as in Braille. The number six, the letter B as in Braille, the numbers six, six. So again, that ending CEU code is the letter B as in Braille, the number six, the letter B as in Braille, the numbers six, six. And we are going to wrap this up. Thank you all so much. Thank you very much, Katie. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. For-